the scriptures give us a clear, very clear two-tiered uh, approach to church leadership, uh, the elders and the deacons. Um, this is clearly laid out in Philippians 1.1 we see here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. There's really only one English word for deacons that we'll see, so next week's sermon will be a little easier as far as terminology. Um, however, the office of pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, bishop, one office has three different Greek terms attached to it and for the same leadership position of the church. Uh, so to start off our discussion today, I want to make sure we clear up any confusion uh, with all of these words uh, about the singular office. So let's go through the Greek here. Um, I know I'm not going to make you have to learn every single Greek word here, but, but, but the first one is episkopos, and this means overseer or bishop. And I've included the scriptures with each one of these terms, so if you want to go afterwards to look. I know uh, my kids saw my handout, and they were like, wow, this is going to be like the longest sermon you've ever preached. Well, I wanted to include all this so you can do some research on your own and kind of fact check me. I always tell people, hey, when I'm preaching, make sure you're looking at the word because uh, we want to be preaching God's word, not my word. Uh, so this, this word refers to the management side of the pastorate. Uh, this term refers to leadership and was actually adapted from the Greek idea uh, of leadership during the first century. Uh, number two is uh, presbyteros, which is elder. Um, again, the scriptures are included there. This word stems from a Jewish heritage in the church. It refers to maturity, honor, and wisdom. Jewish synagogues had elders of the synagogues. And finally, the last Greek word for the office of pastor, shepherd, elder. Uh, here we have uh, pumane, which is pastor or shepherd. This is the one we're probably most familiar with in the church. Uh, we call people pastors. Interestingly, this is actually the least used word for this office in the Bible. Uh, if you look at the scriptures, there are less scriptures for this word than others, but I think we use this word more because we have the good shepherd, right? Jesus is the good shepherd, and pastors are to be modeled after the good shepherd. We're to be under shepherds of the good shepherd, and so it encompasses uh, when you think of a shepherd, all that a shepherd does for a flock, it, it encompasses all that a pastor does, right? Protection, and we'll talk about all the different things, and, and, and guiding and leading. I heard a funny, funny joke, actually, about, about shepherding the other day, and it, it, it talked about this guy that was, uh, uh, they, they, were, they were on this trip in Israel, and this, this guy was giving this speech about the shepherds and how the shepherds would walk out in front and the sheep would follow the shepherd. And they're, they're on this journey, they're, they're traveling on this bus, and they look out the window and they see, they see these sheep, and, and they see this person they thought was a shepherd, and they're walking behind. And like the guy's just taught what a shepherd does and how shepherds lead, and so they pull over the bus, and the guy goes to talk to the guy, and like, this is not how you shepherd, like you're making me look like a fool. You know, I, I said, hey, the shepherds go in front, like that's how you're supposed to be doing this, you're behind, and he found that he was actually the butcher. So, um, so, 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 so I, I figured that was a bad joke. So, so shepherds should be going from in front, leading in front. But sorry, I couldn't, couldn't resist by sharing that joke I just heard the other day. Um, but so, so we, we also see these words are interchangeable. And you'll listen to these and you're like, well, you're giving me these scriptures with these three Greek words, but how do I know they're the same office? Well, I'm going to kind of give you that too. So Acts chapter 20, we actually see elder and overseer within just a few verses of each other talking about the same office. So Acts 20, 17 of the elders of the church. Fast forward to verse 28. The next one, it says overseers. So again, they're, they're used interchangeably there. And in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, we see, again, two words. Now we have elder and shepherd, and I've, I've underlined them. It's very small, but you have a fellow elder there, and then shepherd the flock uh, there. And then again, we actually see them in the, 
In the parallel passage, what we're going to be in today in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see them just right, right, right next to each other, elders and overseers. So if we look at Titus 1, 5 through 9, which also gives the qualifications for an elder or overseer. You appoint elders, and then right below there, for an overseer. So we see these terms are all speaking to the same office. Um, as if the Greek wasn't hard enough with three Greek terms, we have turned them into five English words with pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, and bishop. And then to add insult to injury, we've uh, denominationally, not our denomination, but other denominations, have made a hierarchy to add many other levels and layers, calling bishops things that really are, that's a pastor as a bishop. So, so really confusing these terms. If you have other ideas, you've come from other denominations, you maybe heard these words used, frankly, incorrectly, uh, when you're looking at a biblical approach to church leadership. <clears throat> so it's no wonder why many people struggle with how the church should be right and led, and so confused by the different ecclesiologies or studies of the church across the world. For our sake of our sermon today, I'm going to pick one of these, and we're just going to use the word elder. And you're like, why are we using the word elder? Well, it's in our bylaws, first and foremost. And secondly, I think it'll just, it keeps from confusion from pastor-elder. When we think of a pastor in the Western church, we think of a senior pastor or a lead pastor, uh, the person that's going to get up there and preach most weeks. So that's what we think about. Whereas elders may not always preach. They, they, they may be leading like a pastor, and they meet the same qualifications as a pastor, have the same office, but maybe have a different job. And we'll go into that in a little bit of, of detail. Uh, so, so the lead elder, kind of like a Timothy or a Titus, we see that James was also one. Uh, the, the focus is a leader among equals, kept in check by other elders. Uh, so, so we're going to see that there actually is a plurality of elders in churches, not just one. And, and so why am I giving such a detailed instruction today? Well, first off, I think it'll help you understand our scripture for today. So the qualifications for an elder or overseer, it'll help you realize what we're, who we're talking about. We're talking about pastors or elders. But if you also recall, a few weeks ago, I announced an elder candidate. Any remember, remember who that was? He's sitting on the front row. So Adam Hill, uh, he's being, currently being vetted as an elder candidate. So as we go through the scripture, this will help you understand what I'm asking Adam to do, what you all are going to be asking Adam to do as an elder, and frankly, more importantly than me, or you all, what God is calling Adam to do. Uh, so I, I pray that this helps you understand the, the duties, the qualifications of an elder so let's go ahead and read our full scripture uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and let's get started. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he denies a noble task. Remember, that's elder, pastor, same thing. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may, fall in, may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now let us pray. Lord God, I'm, I'm really excited to preach this today. Um, this is something that's very passionate in my heart as a, as a pastor, as an elder. Um, the qualifications here are, um, are frankly overwhelming, um, humbling uh, that, that you would call me to this thing. I, I don't feel qualified. I think if you feel qualified, then that's probably what makes you unqualified to be a pastor. Um, but God, I pray that as we go through this section, 
that we don't just say, oh, well, that's for quote-unquote super Christians called pastors. No, we are all believers, and we are all called to be sanctified and holy and set apart. And although we have different roles in the church, we don't have people that are more important. You love each one of us the same. You care for us the same. And that, that, the bar that's set for church leadership, you also want us, even if we're not to be a pastor, many of these you we're going we're gonna to go through are things we should be striving for too. Your, your, your word says, as we see uh, Paul uh, talk to the church in Corinth, in, in chapter, or 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so God, I pray that you be with me and, and the other elders that will be in this church in the future, other pastors, and that you help us to follow hard after you, that we can be examples for the flock, that we are not stumbling blocks for the flock. I pray that this church is set apart and holy, and I pray that, that each church member strives to be more and more like you. I pray that you be with our, our service today. You be with this message. May it be your words and not mine. May you give us a clear understanding of how the church is to be run, how it's to be led, and uh, God, just open up our hearts and minds to hear your word. We love you. Amen. So with all that said, uh, the first aspect of an elder that we see is the call of the elder, the call of the elder. I'm going to reread verse 1 here. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he des desires a noble task. So we should respect the office of elder. It is a noble task. Caring for the flock of Christ is a burdensome and heavy task. Actually, the enemy of our souls prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you know when that, where that verse comes from? 1 Peter 5.8, what's the first five verses right before that I kind of gave you a little bit of a hint of? It talks about the need for elders and shepherds. So, so right after talking about the need of elders and shepherds, Peter warns the church, hey, there's people out there trying to pick off the sheep. There's people trying to devour people. And so our job as pastors, elders, is to protect the flock. The standard for church leaders needs to be high, and it is high. Uh, this, the, this first verse gives us a practical question that we must ask, though. So how does someone become an elder? Uh, what are some practical steps of choosing an elder? As a congregation, your job is to know how to choose or vet an elder. It's not just me saying, hey, I think you should be one. Each one of you has a responsibility to vet Adam. Each one of you has a responsibility to hold me accountable as a shepherd as well. Uh, so, so you need to know what the qualifications are and whether I'm meeting them or whether Adam's meeting them. And so, so this, is, this is big on you all, too. It is a congregational thing as well. At, at risk of oversimplification, we see the following steps to become an elder. Number one, there needs to be a call from God. Uh, this is most clearly seen in our verse today. Uh, this, this word for aspires is actually not an inward force. It actually responds to an external force. This aspiring comes from the Holy Spirit. We actually see that clearly in Acts 20, 28, where we see the Holy Spirit actually determines who's going to be an elder and overseer. But, but this, and the, and this word for desires refers to a compulsion. So it's an external force that creates an internal compulsion that there's nothing else you can do. I need to serve the church in that way. I have to serve the church in that way. It's a consuming passion for Christ's church and his people. At number two, we see a gifting from God, a gifting from God. And the first part of that gifting is able to teach. That's really one of the biggest differentiators, differentiators, if I can say that right, between elders and deacons that we're going to see next week. Not that the deacons can't teach, but elders have to be able to teach. 
No, and then B here, a pastor's heart. And this is something I think that we miss sometimes. You know, we, we think about the need of somebody standing up and they're speaking each week. Well, we think, oh yeah, they need to be able to teach. If they're not able to communicate truth in an intelligible way, they're really boring or, or they're, you know, whatever, they're not telling the truth, they're speaking. We're like, okay, they're not, they're not qualified to be a pastor. But we have a lot of men out there that are very charismatic, very eloquent, but they don't have a pastor's heart. And so those men are very dangerous because they don't care about the flock. They care about themselves. And they're charismatic and they're very talented. And so they, they're able to speak this eloquent stuff, but they don't have a pastor's heart. And this is where we see in Ephesians 4.11 the need to shepherd the flock. And then we see in 1 Peter 5.2, we see this, this charge, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, that means like not being forced. Obviously, we're, we have that compulsion somewhat from the Holy Spirit, but not from, from external force, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So many are for shameful gain. And so we need to know what is the heart of the pastor. They need to have a pastor's heart. That's a God-given pastor's heart for the congregation. They must desire to see the flock protected, that the truth is proclaimed. Uh, and then they also need to be leading and shepherding the flock so that they go out and share the gospel with others, that they go out and they continue being sanctified. They're reading the Bible, that they're praying, and they should be intimately involved in their lives. Number three, they're supposed, they need to meet biblical character qualifications. This is actually the, the make it or break it for most men. Uh, and this is where we're going to see this entire scripture really talks about this, except for one thing that's able to teach. The rest of them are actually not what an overseer or a shepherd or elder a pastor does. It's who they are. And that's what the most important thing is. Uh, and we're going to see that in 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7, and we can see it in Titus 1, 5 through 9 in a, another uh, parallel. And finally, number four, this is where we're at with Adam right now, is have their calling recognized and confirmed by the church and church leaders. So, so here's where to recognize those with the gift of eldership. Uh, we, we confirm this, as we see in 1 Timothy three ten. We see, we see this with deacons as well. And this is where we're at with Adam right now. Uh, I've been working with him through mentorship and training. We've been going through a book recently. We went through stuff. For, frankly, I've been, even maybe unbeknownst to him, training him for this for th the whole time that we've been doing this, even before we, we, we started. Um, and this is where you as a church body need to vet him and see if he's ready for that. So I pray that this has been helpful for you to understand the call and the position uh, of, of elder. And now comes the high character standards given for elder. As we go through these, don't just keep looking at Adam or me and saying, okay, check, check, nope, no, nope, maybe he needs to work on that. You know, we need, we need to, I mean, there, there's definitely a part of that that maybe needs to be a part of that. You, you do need to hold us accountable and responsible. But I also pray that you look at yourself because these are not just supernatural, crazy characteristics for any, this is, these are characteristics that should be true of all of us. And even able to teach, although you may not be able to get up and preach like I am right now, you should be able to teach your children or your grandchildren or your friends. You should be able to tell them at least the gospel, at least that, right? Because we're all given that mandate to evangelize, to tell others about the gospel. So we need to all at least be able to do that. But so we're, gonna, we're given a, a crazy group of qualifications, pretty hard here, very tough, in verse 2. It says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So interestingly, Paul starts off this with above reproach. That is an extremely high calling. Uh, above reproach, this word's very similar to the word, the Greek word used in Titus 1.6, which means blameless. 
This does not mean that an elder never sins, though. If, if, you, if you hold that standard, well, really, Jesus would be the only elder of the church. And he really is the head. He's the good shepherd, um, and we're the under-shepherds. But we, we realize that, that, that to, to say one never sins, if I got up here and said, yeah, I'm above approach, I've never sinned, well, then I would actually not only lose my position of elder, I would lose my position of believer. And we see that in our verse that we just memorized in growth group. So I'm going to need some help on this one. 1 John 1, 8 through 9. Come on. We have no sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we say we have no sin, what? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, so obviously we realize this above reproach doesn't mean that you're perfect. It, mean, it, doesn't, I mean, it means blameless. That means that you've fully repented of the times you've sinned, that, that you're quick to repent, that after you mess up, you're like, sorry. You know, so, so you're going to be blameless in the fact that you are right with God in that. So, however, elders must be known to have an observable and constant and consistent godly behavior. Next, we come to probably the most theologically discussed qualifications. Number two, the husband of one wife. This qualification, as well as 1 Timothy 2.12 that we did the last time I preached, shows the biblical qualifications for an elder and pastor must be a man. We, we will see the same statement in the qualifications of deacon next week. This qualification refers more to the moral purity of a man. It, it literally in the Greek means a one-woman man. There were many issues in the early church, and Paul wants to make it clear the purity of church leaders is very important. Uh, Paul obviously rules out polygamy, affairs, adultery of any sort. Uh, the elder must main, maintain a marriage that is in line with Ephesians 5, 22-23, where marriage is an example of Christ and the church. But there are some unanswered questions that come from this hard qualification. So, so A, can an elder be single? Well, yes, he can. Uh, Jesus actually never married, right? Paul, single, never married. And, and yet Paul was an, an elder, was an apostle. So the, the phrase used here is more about purity than whether someone is married or not. And see 1 Corinthians 7 for more details on that one. And then the, the hardest one, can a pastor, can a divorced man be a pastor or elder? And here's where it gets a little bit more muddy. This is where we got to take the whole counsel of Scripture. So if the man was divorced before being saved, then he can. Because the old man is gone, and the new man now lives. And we see, in, see with Paul, he calls himself in 1 Timothy 1.13, he was a murderer and a blasphemer. And yet he was saved and able to be an apostle. So, so we are not responsible for what we did in our past life. Now, there's, some, there's definitely some wisdom there, some things you may need to work through, talk through, and, and maybe it still is not the best idea for you. But, but as far as, as from a law standpoint, then yes, they would still qualify. If a man is divorced because of the adultery of his wife or by abandonment from an unbelieving wife, then he would not be guilty and would be eligible to be a pastor as well. There's, there's two lawful reasons for divorce given in Scripture. It doesn't mean you have to, but there are lawful reasons in Matthew 19.9 and 1 Corinthians 7.15. So this man would be biblically free to marry as well. It would be really wise in these situations, and I know some that may be like, oh, no, I don't like that. I don't like that idea. Uh, you know, some of us that are on the more conservative side may be like, not just go conservative, maybe go legalistic, maybe go beyond Scripture. Be like, I don't, I don't like that at all. But we have to realize that we can't go beyond the Scriptures, and so we, we need to stick, stick true to it. But we also need to realize that these situations, as they come, need to be investigated. Uh, they, they would be things, okay, let's do some interviews, let's ask some questions to make sure that we have an accurate history. But if a man was divorced for any other reason than the lawful reasons given above, then he would be disqualified. 
He would be able to serve in the church, would be able to be a part of the church, and that is perfectly fine. I don't want to make anyone feel guilty who has been divorced, who has been through things like that. And even if you were the one that messed up, maybe you're the one that committed adultery, there is forgiveness. When, when you repent, you are forgiven, you are set free, you are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But the church is holy and set apart for God. And so it's not about our sin, it's about His holiness. And so these, these regulations are not about your sin, but it's about Christ's holiness. And so that doesn't mean we can't serve in many, many ways if, if someone has went through that or been through that. Uh, so I pray, but we, don't, we, we want to make sure that we are above reproach and that we don't defame Christ. I pray that we can truthfully and graciously submit and understand to that difficult qualification. Next, we get to a rapid-fire list of qualifications. So number three, sober-minded. This refers to one who is clear-headed. He's one who is temperate and intentional. He's not flippant in conversation. doesn't just spout off the mouth. This obviously encompasses uh, those who are not, not given to drunkenness as well. If you're given to drunkenness, that would, that's going to be in a later qualification. You'd be disqualified as well. Number four, self-controlled. This is an elder who is well-disciplined. He gets his work done and keeps himself under control. Uh, this one, I think, can be an issue for a lot of pastors because there's so many hats that you wear as a pastor. You know, you're reaching out to all these different people. You're doing visitations. You're preparing a sermon. You're overseeing things. You're overseeing different ministries in the church. And if you are not self-disciplined, you're not self-controlled, things can get out of hand really quickly. Number five, respectable. An elder must be respectable. He must be worthy of respect, a man of dignity and honor. The church is commanded to honor those who labor as elders. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Another unique, that may seem like a unique qualification for pastors is hospitable. Number six. Uh, this Greek word here is actually, is literally loving strangers. Like that's what the compound word means, to love strangers. So elders must be an example to the flock by loving those who are unlovable, our enemies, th those who are enemies of God, to love those who are outside the church as well. Obviously we need to love those inside the church, but we also need to be welcoming to those who don't have Christ so that we can share the gospel with others. Next we see that elders, number seven, are able to teach. Again, this is the main differentiator, did better that time, uh, between pastors and deacons. Uh, the best understanding of this requirement is being skillful at teaching. We've all had teachers that can teach, but they're not necessarily skillful at teaching. No, I mean, we've probably been there. Uh, this requires one to rightly handle the scriptures, as seen in 2 Timothy 2.15, as well as Titus 1.5. Uh, those who teach must understand the burden of teaching. James 3.1 is a terrifying verse. Every time I read it, it says that those who are teachers will be judged with greater strictness, a, a harsher judgment, because I'm up here and I'm, I'm preaching the Word of God, and I'm telling you, hey, I'm preaching the Word of God. If I twist that, if I change that, if I go beyond that, if I go below that, then, then, then that's, that's a judgment upon me, and we need to take that very, very seriously, that we handle it rightly. And part of this ability to teach involves protecting the, the flock from false teachers. Now, Acts 20, 27 through 30 uh, outlines the importance of fighting against false teachers and false teaching. If elders do not have confidence in the scripture, then they will not be able to defend themselves against false teachers. The old saying, if you, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You need to stand upon the scriptures or you will fall for false teaching. Preaching and teaching is the primary role of an elder. 
This is expressed in the pastoral epistles many times, and I've included you a ton of verses here under the importance of preaching in your handout. They're all in First and Second and Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles. So we see just how important able to teach is, able to preach is there. But it should be noted that although all elders must be able to teach, it's, it's non-negotiable, must be able to rebuke with all authority those who are falsely teaching, it does not mean that all elders will regularly preach. So this doesn't mean that Adam has to preach every other week now that he's going to become an elder uh, or that we're going to put him in, you know, who knows, maybe in the future we'll see. I mean, who knows what the Lord will do. But it's not a requirement uh, here. He just had a heart attack a little bit, maybe. I don't know. I may want to check his pulse just to make sure he's okay. But so, so if we look at 1 Timothy 5.17, it says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So that especially means that not all are going to be regularly laboring in preaching and teaching. So you get that? So, so there, there, there is a, there's those elders that labor in preaching and teaching, and there's, there's, there are those who labor in serving the church and leading the church. Now, I would argue that all elders should be able to preach and teach. They should be able to fill the pulpit if needed. Um, because we, we need to have more than one person feeding the flock. I think it's really important to do that. Churches aren't meant to be led by one man. We see the plurality. Let the elders, not the elder. Now, this has been something that's kind of been a problem in the Western church, this whole senior pastor idea, and really we as Baptists are really bad about this. We have one man, a lot of times, who runs everything, and that's not a biblical concept. That's not, a, that's not something we see in the Bible. We see you're supposed to appoint elders in every town, not just elder. And here we see, let the elders who rule. And so we need to know that there is a plurality of elder, uh, elders. Each elder has his own strengths and weaknesses. We have our blind spots. No man is perfect other than Jesus Christ. Having a plurality of elders provides a more balanced and stable leadership for the church. It also prevents the church from being built around one man's personality. I've had a dollar for every time I've seen the senior pastor leaves and the church dies because it was all built around that guy. It was all about his personality, his giftingness, what he brought to the table. It's great to have a leader, but he should be a leader among other leaders so that if something happens to him, someone else is able to step up and take the church, that they're all on board with the same vision, multiple people. Churches centered on a single man are set up for failure. The only man a church should be set up around is the God-made flesh man, Christ Jesus. But also we see here that all elders don't necessarily have to regularly preach, as we discussed. They should be able to, to, to fill the pulpit, but they don't have to do that. We also see the importance of honoring those who do preach the Word of God. This isn't because those who are preachers are so much better in themselves. No, it's because the Word of God is great, and, and preaching the Word of God is super important for our churches. After giving this commands of things to do, Paul gives a list of things not to do. So now we come to the, to the negative commands here. 1 Timothy 3, 3, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So these are the negative attributes that should not define a pastor. So let's start with the first one, not a drunkard. I think that would go without saying, right? Don't, having a drunkard as a pastor is probably not a great idea. So an elder should not be a drinker, not one given over to wine and strong drink. He must not be given over to drunkenness. Although the scriptures do not specifically forbid the drinking of alcohol, it does forbid drunkenness. At Cross Point, we go beyond that. I will say we, we want to be above reproach in this area. And so we require all of our elders and deacons to abstain completely from alcohol. 
And that is beyond Scripture. It's not something that would be required everywhere. It's just a rule, a law that we've had here in order to be above reproach. And time fails me as a, as a physician to go through all of the medical issues, the epidemiological issues, the family issues that come from the abuse of alcohol in our nation, a nation that can't do anything in moderation. But because of the dangers involved, you know, maybe one day I'll go into that in more detail, but because of the angels involved, or the dangers in, involved uh, and to keep from being a stumbling block to those who may struggle with that, uh, we hold our leaders to a standard of complete abstinence. Some may agree or disagree with that, but we want to be above reproach in and, and a world that, that is really struggling because of that. Um, well, that's, that's the stand that we take. Number nine, not violent, but gentle. This literally refers to a man who is not a giver of blows. He should be peaceable and gentle and not given to anger and violence. Number 10, not quarrelsome. This goes along with that last qualification. An elder should be a peacemaker. He should not be one that bullies others over just to have his will done and get what he wants to be done. He should be courageous and fight against false teaching, but not someone just always looking for a fight. We mentioned this in 1 Timothy 2.8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And finally, an elder is not a lover of money. Not a lover of money. Number 11. All you have to do is turn on the TV and watch these so-called preachers, pastors, start to talk, and you see that there's so many charlatans stealing the money of weak-willed people. If you just give $10, it will be turned into $100 over and over and over again. This defames Christ in so, so many ways. Elders should not be greedy for unjust gain. They should be generous. The scriptures are clear that a pastor does deserve his wages, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, which we'll get to in a few weeks. Let the elders who rule well be considered of, uh, worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, which we already read. For the, scriptures, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So the church should care for their pastor. However, a pastor who looks to fleece his flock is no pastor. He's a disgrace to the ministry. Elders should be lovers of Christ first and foremost. Lovers of money are idolaters. And it should never be true of an elder. Next we come to number three, the, the care of the elder. The care of the elder. This, this will be an interesting qualification as you read this. First Timothy 3, 4-5. through five, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household... How will he care for God's church? This is something I think churches do really poorly when they interview a pastor. I've seen a lot of churches have put together committees to interview a pastor, and they look at their credentials, maybe their seminary training, uh, they, they listen to their sermons, they maybe ask them some theological questions. Those are all very, very good. But very rarely do they interview the wife or the kids. Now, the, the family is the training ground for a pastor. Um, Sadly, I mean, frankly, if, if, a, if an elder cannot shepherd his own home, how can he shepherd Christ's church is what Paul asks here. I said in, in, in maybe a different way, if an elder cannot get his own children to trust him or to follow him or to learn from him, how can he get the church to? And so an elder will be disqualified if his flock, personal flock, his family is not following him. An elder is to shepherd the flock of Christ and his ability should be evident in how he shepherds his wife and children. He should be strong and courageous, but should also be sacrificial to his family and gentle. He should be a servant leader. He should not rule as a dictator or tyrant, given to angry outbursts and ruling through intimidation. Instead of intimidation, he should rule through emulation of his Savior. 
Interestingly, we see the same qualification we'll see next week for deacons in 1 Timothy 3.12. Now, I want to be really clear. This is not um, a verse that is supposed to focus in on elders' children or pastors' children to be held to some unrealistic or unreasonable standard. I, I, we, Lauren and I have been super blessed here. And, and I've, heard, I've heard so many pastors talk about how hard it is for them to go to church and how their kids hate going to church. They don't like going to church. Because every time they go, so-and-so is watching what they're doing, and they're saying, well, you know, you're a pastor's kid. You should be doing this. You're a pastor's kid. And I have not experienced that, and I just thank you all. Lauren thanks you. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for loving on our kids, for caring for our kids like they're your own kids or grandkids or nephews or nieces. We've been super blessed. I don't think our kids feel that like they're in a fishbowl. But in many churches, pastors talk about feeling their kids are in a fishbowl, that everybody's just watching to see if they fall, to see if they mess up, and just kind of pressing on that. So, so the, the, the real thrust of this isn't the children. The thrust of this is on the elder. Is he handling business? Is he disciplining when he needs to discipline? Uh, and this is on the deacon as well, which we'll talk about next week. Uh, is he engaging his children? Uh, is he teaching his children the word of God? Uh, is he leading them compassionately and sacrificially? Is he leading his wife compassionately and sacrificially? Another important caveat here is those children that are grown and out of a deacon or elder's home. Adult children are, who are wayward do not disqualify the pastor or elder. Although we are given this wonderful assertion in Proverbs, and everybody here knows this, probably Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we must understand that this is a principle passage. Good job. Thank you very much, buddy. You're, you're, you're into this. I'm glad you're, you're ready. I like it. You're, you're getting, me, getting me excited. So, so this is a principle passage and not a promise passage. And this gets confused sometimes because uh, a personal relationship with Christ is just that. It's personal. Right? Each of us has to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as he draws us to himself. Uh, we all have to have a personal relationship with Christ. We must repent of our sins and I mean, turn from our sins. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believe what he did on the cross, that he, he hung there some 2,000 years ago, took on the sin of the world, that three days later he rose from the dead, and now he's the reign of the Father, and that only through faith in him can we be saved. I don't care if you're an elder, you're a deacon, I don't care if you're the president of the United States, you can't make that decision for your children. You can only make that decision for yourself. You can only respond to that in, in faith and trust in Christ yourself. And so we cannot hold a pastor elder responsible if his children refuse to repent as adults. And lastly, we come to number four, the courage of the elder. The courage of the elder. First Timothy 3, 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So Paul warns the churches here not to select elders from recent converts. This is really, really important. Uh, and, and, the, and the reason is it may make them conceited. And to be conceited means to have a prideful or overly positive regard to oneself. Oh, how many church leaders there are with an overly positive view of themselves. They love them some them. Uh, you can see, you, 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 watch T, you watch TBN for a little while. There's the smiling preacher that never doesn't smile and has really white teeth. And, and, and it all, he's always smiling, and he's smiling because his bank account is really big. And he has a nice yacht and a very nice house. So he's smiling all the way to the bank, but he is conceited. He is about himself. Many out there are. If you turn on the TV 24-7, you can find someone who is all about them. They love them, some them. 
And elders should be the opposite of this. They are called to be humble servant leaders, not building their own kingdom, but building the kingdom of God. The conceited elder will be judged by God like Satan, we're called here, has been judged by God. He will be removed from his place and punished for his unrighteousness. Some of you are like, wow. Like, I mean, you can't lose your salvation, right? So, I mean, you, you teach that those who are truly saved persevere in the faith, and now you've just said that this conceited elder, this conceited pastor will be punished like Satan. This isn't the one loses their salvation. This is one who was not saved to begin with. And, and what you do when you take an elder, quote-unquote, you take a recent convert and you put them in a position of authority in the church, what you've done is you haven't vetted them. You haven't seen if they persevered in the faith, if they if they made a head decision or a heart decision, if they, if they were really born again, or they just kind of gave a head nod. And so what you do is you put these people who have just made maybe this profession of faith, they're not truly saved, they've just said, oh, I, in my head I believe the right stuff about Jesus, I believe what you just said. Well, how many people believe that and aren't saved? Satan's one of them. He believes all what I just said. He knows it to be true. That doesn't mean he follows Christ. It doesn't mean that Jesus is the Lord over his life, that he follows his ways. So when you put someone who just has made this, this head nod to Jesus and you put them in that, they may be false converts. And you may have just put an unbeliever in charge of the church. And there are a lot of unbelievers in charge of churches across America and across our world. There is nothing more dangerous than this. This is why Paul, on his first missionary journey, guess how many elders he appointed? Zero. Not one elder was appointed on Paul's first missionary journey. It wasn't until his second missionary journey we see in Acts 14, 23, this. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, well, first off, plurality of elders again. Some of you may have kind of pushed back because you've grown up in that single pastor church and, you know, there's got to be just one pastor, not elders. I don't like this. Appointed elders in every church, plural. Very, very clear here. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And those that may want to argue with me on that, would understand that I'd be a fool to try to give away power uh, as a pastor. Be like, oh, well, I want to bring other people that hold me accountable and, and, and call me out. Like, no, I, I want that. I welcome that. I welcome to have men like this that can say, hey, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know. I, let, let's talk about this a little further. We need that. But most men don't want that. And men that don't want accountability don't qualify to be pastors. So we see the plurality of elders here. We see the elders are appointed in every church, as we just saw this. And again, note the plurality of this term. Not just one elder, but elders. And these elders were to be mature believers. These weren't just recent converts. They needed to be mature believers who were tested in the faith. Moving on to our last verse, verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. And, and this, this can be a, a difficult passage you know, above reproach, and this is kind of, the, kind, of the, kind of the bookends of this section here. Above reproach, blameless, and now we have well thought of by outsiders. And this one can be maybe understood in a, in a bad way, too. Um, a, a pastor or elder should not be Mr. Popularity in his area because of what he's teaching. If, if, if he is Mr. Popularity after he preaches his sermons and everyone in the community loves him, he's not preaching the Bible. There's, it's very clear that he's disqualified. Because if you're preaching the word of God directly, you're not going to be Mr. Popularity. But he should be known as someone who practices what he preaches, that he's a man of integrity, that they know what to expect. Okay, I disagree with this guy, but I know what to expect. I know he's going to do this. He believes this, and he stands for that. He should be a man of integrity. He should be a man above reproach. 
If he's not, he will fall into disgrace. And so what, what does that mean, falling disgrace into the snares of the devil? Well, there's many traps set up by the devil, and, and everyone can fall into traps set up by the enemy of our souls. But we know that he goes after those who are leading the flock, because if you, if you trip up the, the shepherd, then the sheep may be tripped up as well. If you look at a lot of these quote-unquote churches that have false teachers, what, what are they doing? They're, they're leading sheep astray. This pastor may fall into discouragement because maybe ministry is not going the way he thought it should and he'll quit. And I just heard a statistic that 1,500 pastors stop, quit every month. 1,500. It's just crazy to think about because it's so hard. It's a hard job. It's a thankless job. Uh, there's all this pressure on pastors. And I, I got to admit, like, I, I love this, this body. I don't, I don't feel that pressure from you all. I feel loved by you all. I, you all come and you, you give me good feedback. You you listen intently. When I look out, people are, are actually engaged. Um, you know, all are easy to serve, but I hear a lot of horror stories of, of churches where they're not loved by their congregation, where there's this adversarial approach of either deacons and the pastor, other pastors and pastors, and it's just, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a hard job for a lot of men. He's also, there's also a common trap of sexual morality, which is probably the most common trap that you see a lot of men fall into. An elder must be on guard against the trap of immorality. Many men have fallen into this trap. And lastly, there's the, the trap of, of evolving one's doctrine in order to, quote-unquote, reach more people. And this has become a, a big issue. We've talked about it many times with false teaching, that, that as you preach, as you teach, it divides. Whenever you preach the Word of God, it is sharp, it divides the sheep and the goats. It divides those who are willing to be taught and those who are not willing to be taught. And it won't grow a church really well. I remember whenever my mentor, Pastor Kenny, who sent us out from Good Shepherd, sent me out. He said, you won't have a very big church. And I was like, man, my preaching can't be that bad, is it? I was like, man, I mean, that's, that's not very nice. He said, no, he said, your preaching's fine. He said, you're really conservative. You know, you preach the word pretty hard. And he said, that's a good thing. He said, you won't have a big church, but have a biblical church. And that is what our goal is here. Again, I'd love to have a big biblical church. I mean, again, if we get bigger, we'll send people out. I don't want to make a church like that. I don't think that's a good idea. I like, a, let's have multiple churches. Let's, let's, let's keep this place going. But I can't shepherd that many people. I don't want to be responsible for a thousand people. Uh, when I stand in front of Christ, I think that's terrifying. I'm already terrified to stand in front of him with who I have here and be like, how did you do? You know, did, did you know what was going on? Were you shepherding people? Were you loving them? Were you listening to them? Were you visiting them? I can't visit a thousand people. I just can't do that. So, so we'll, we'll, send, we'll send out more people if that happens. But as we come to a close, uh, and I appreciate your, your, you engaging me throughout this. And this has been a lot of information. But I wanted to end. We, we've talked about the qualifications, what an elder is, who he needs to be, how, what, what he needs to, how he needs to be called. We've talked about all of that. But we haven't talked about what an elder does. And so I wanted to end with just this job description of an elder. It's by no means exhaustive, but hopefully a good overview of, of what you should expect from elders. They, they must be willing to stand firm on the word of God as they preach and teach. Elders must be courageous as they lead the church and be willing to defend the faith against false teachers. They must maintain integrity as they lead the church. They must be discerning and able to provide biblical counsel and shepherding to the flock. They must be able to handle persecution and slander. We will be spoken bad against at times. They must be able to oversee and manage the affairs of the church with that casting vision as well. They must be able to recognize and confirm the gifts in others. Our job's not to just 
do everything. Our job is to find you all and say, hey, you're really good at this, but let's get you doing this. What do you think about this? Like our job is to equip the saints to, to shine and serve in the way, ways the spiritual gifting that they have and to be able to equip you all, not to just do all the work ourselves. That's not how the church should run. We also must be willing to, to participate in church discipline, the least favorite thing a pastor does when someone is unrepentant and has to do that. They must be willing to make much of Christ and a little of themselves. So I, I pray that this sermon's helped you understand the position of pastor and elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd, all those words. Same, same one, right? One, 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 one uh, office there. I am blessed to be the lead pastor or elder of this wonderful church. And I, I, I understand the high calling of this position. I don't take it for granted. And I humbly ask that you be in, in frequent prayer for me and those who join me in the future because there's no greater joy than serving our King. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for just clearly laying out how you want your church run. Thank you for just the clarity of the qualifications of the call, of, of how, how it should run. Lord, I know there's some, uh, some freedom and liberty in, in what we do and how we do it and, and how we fulfill the Great Commission and the mission of the church. But Lord, I just thank you for, for setting it up the way you wanted it set up. So help us to be a church that is biblically modeled, that isn't about ourselves, that isn't built around a, a man other than you. God made flesh. And Lord, I pray that, that you help this church to, uh, to vet our leaders well, to hold them accountable. I pray that we also have a church that, that leads alongside, that comes alongside as encouragement and, and as workers. There's so much work to be done. It can't be done by, by one man or two men or a few men. It needs to, be done, needs to be done by the whole church, men and women, even children. We all have to fulfill your great commission. We all have to fulfill the discipleship and growing in sanctification, growing in service. So God, I just pray that, that as we think about these qualifications, that each one of us meet these qualifications, that we strive to be like you, first and foremost. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.